Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Some of those big issues debated last year in the halls of the General Assemblies in the Carolinas will now come to fruition and be applied. So what happens politically this year? In a moment, we start to unpack the policy that may in fact take place this year and also the new battles around COVID and the workplace. What happens is employees employers start to bring employees back into the workplace. And then later on, she is the mayor of the largest city in both Carolinas, the mayor of Charlotte, Vi Lyles, will join us again, talking about a $250 million racial equity initiative. It all starts right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Anna Bevan Gravely of NC Free, Antoine Seawright from Blueprint Strategy, and special guest, Mayor Vi Lyles from the city of Charlotte. Welcome again to our dialogue. We're uh, glad to see both these happy faces. Anna Bevan and Antoine, welcome again to this dialogue and thanks for taking time. AB, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with you, so here we are. <laughs> New legislative sessions, new priorities or are they what do you think is going to be job one this year for the general assembly and for policy in general anna bevan i'll start with you yeah i think at where we stand right now redistricting getting that handled figuring out what the maps are um if if we're going to keep the maps that were drawn in uh november late november um or if we're gonna shift to, to new maps, that's really top of mind for a lot of people because we can't really let any dust start to settle on our election cycle until we get redistricting. Um, should that be the number one topic when we talk about policy that impacts people's lives? Probably not. Um, there are probably, there are a lot of things that are left over from, um, from the session that never ended that are gonna be picked up in, in, North in short Carolina. sessions. Yeah, absolutely, in North Carolina. We continue to go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. Antoine, what do you think? Well, you know, the dates may have changed, but the issues remain the same. I think mm -hmm. the same issues that were an issue uh, five years ago, uh, sadly and consequently, are the same issues of today. The only difference, I think, this upcoming session, of course, redistricting will have big impact on that, but the political environment, uh, I think overall the temperature will determine how aggressive or not so aggressive they deal with the issues. And make no mistake, quality of life issues are still going to be the order of the day, whether it's in South Carolina, North Carolina, or anywhere 
And I think we cannot fool ourselves or hoodwink ourselves to think that it will not be. I think the one thing this pandemic has taught us is that access to affordable quality healthcare and access to broadband and education, those three things have to be top of mind or else mm -hmm. the cookie crumbles both in North Carolina and in South Carolina. Yeah, you know, Anna Bevan, and, and you bring up a good point, Antoine, around the idea of education. It seems like education is so complex, so wide, so deep, and the pandemic, of course, has exacerbated that issue. But this issue of broadband, Anna Bevan, <clears throat> in North Carolina, with 100 counties, and so many of them rural, and it's the same for the Palmetto State, but you know, what we have found out by doing this program and doing research and talking to folks in the know is the, the, the bottleneck for broadband is comes down to simply uh, arranging and agreeing to for broadband to be able to use uh, utility poles. And, mm -hmm. and that's where it stops. Um, you would think that that would be not not easy, but certainly simple to work through. No. You would think, I think there's um, there's a little bit going on behind the, in the background when we talk about broadband is, um, is that considered new, a new type of infrastructure? Um, there are like, when we talk about infrastructure, we usually think through roads and bridges, um, but does that now include broadband? Because so many people are working at home. Um, I can't imagine living life without the internet. I mean, we're doing this show via Zoom. Um, and so many programs have been done on an educational basis for their audience by Zoom. And so when we talk through infrastructure and we talk through um, broadband, I think those two concepts need to be blended together. And I think that the General Assembly and um, their collaborators are trying to come to a, a, a consensus on what that looks like. Antoine, in South Carolina, uh, in I may have the statistic wrong, and I know you're going to know this, but there has been 50-0% turnover in teachers in the public school systems. Is that right? And is that sustainable? And what kind of crisis does that spell? Well, it's a crisis that I think we all should be saying our prayers about, because I don't know a more consequential profession than teachers. They prepare the lawyers, the doctors, the politicians. They prepare everyone for whatever the next step in life may be. But the issue of education, not just around sustaining teachers, it's about the recruitment, uh, the recruitment of teachers. And if the General Assembly and the General Assemblies do not get it right on this question of how we pay them and how we ultimately treat them in the classroom, whether it's making sure they have what they need from a safety perspective as we still meddle our way through whatever this pandemic may look like, or just making sure they have resources to make sure they can prepare our children to compete in an ever-changing global society. But Chris, I wanna go back to one thing you said about the issue of broadband, because I think broadband is what electricity was to the 20th century, broadband is that for the mm -hmm. 21st century. And when broadband, when the conversation around access to the internet started, the internet was called the information superhighway. So when my dear friend Anna talks about whether broadband is considered traditional infrastructure in 2021, 2022, absolutely because we cannot get down the highway without having broadband be accessible. The trick for North Carolina, South Carolina, and states all across the country is not only whether it's accessible, but whether it's affordable or not. And you can have access to broadband, but if communities like the ones I come from and the ones I grew up in, and so many people I know, if, they, if the internet is not affordable, 
it doesn't make a difference and it doesn't mean a damn thing if it's accessible. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, just 30 seconds on this, Anna Bevan, the idea that North Carolina in the last session um, uh, committed a billion dollars to broadband. You've mm-hmm. got everyone singing out of the same page in the hymnal at least. Yeah. Do you, would you expect in 2022 that, that, that broadband will actually get traction about getting deployed? Man, that is a really difficult question to ask because I would have said that the maps would have stuck um, and we would not be postponing our primary. Um, so North Carolina politics is a whole different ball game. Okay. Um, but I, with regards to the fact that there's been a, a very serious commitment um, to the amount of money that's put behind broadband, um, it's been a conversation that is, that's been going on in both chambers mm-hmm. by both parties um, for like a, a good chunk of this decade. I think that that has, I am willing to say that that is the best likelihood that will happen. It will be a positive outcome. That's the last word on that, at least for now. Let's, we got about three minutes. Let's shift to employers and COVID. Uh, Antoine, it looks like uh, many large employers now have reached the date of repopulating work sites. Not everyone, but a lot have put January or mid-January or the first or the 30th and, 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 and subsequent dates as being the, the time to bring workers back in as companies, both large and small, start to repatriate people into the workforce. Two things are emerging, a hybrid work model, whatever that looks like. And then the second part of that is compensation. How will employment compensation change if you're working remotely as well as, as in the office? How do you come down on that? What do you think is going to happen here? Well, there's some industries to where a hybrid work model does not work. Uh, when you have your real frontline soldiers, there is no such thing as working from home. They have to be on the front line blocking and tackling every single day. What is, this pandemic has taught us is that the tectonic plates have shifted. And so what was will no longer be what is. And I think we, I think the workforce is going to have to recalibrate itself and make some adjustments along the way. Here's the tricky part, I think, for all of us to understand is, what does that mean for the working family? What does that mean for childcare? What does that mean for a two-parent system? What does that mean for the mom who's working two jobs? Forget about trying to put but they're about trying to make ends meet, putting two ends together, hoping to meet. And I think that's what large companies are going to ask themselves. What can we do or what are we going to have to do to meet our employees where we are? Mm-hmm. Because a happy employee is a hardworking employee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anna Yeah, I, I definitely think that there is going to be a, um, a larger conversation about what can we do as employers for those people who are coming in mm-hmm. um, and including greater benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's the conversation, not necessarily, I would, I would urge that it go away from, from um, your pay compensation, but really more on the benefits side of compensation. Um, because really when you're hired, you're hired to, to do a job, whether it's in five hours or in 15 hours, it's based on the value that you create for, for your employer. And so People who choose to stay home or have the option to, to stay home and only work a couple of days in the office or full-time at home, they're, they're still held to a standard of, of getting a certain job done. Um, and, and I think that that's, it's going to be really interesting to see our businesses shuffle through and try to figure out how do we still maintain that company culture and that energy around a team when we're doing it all um, virtually or 
Do we have more happy hours? Do we spend more time on, on fun and fulfillment days? Do we have mandatory family days? Um, it's, it, I, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I've been listening to a lot of Harvard Business Review idea casts on it, um, which is, has been really great to hear. Chris, Chris, I'll tell you, so incentive work, incentive at work is going to be key. A lot of companies are going to save money because they do not have to pay for office space. Uh, yeah. They do not have to pay the same right. utility bill exactly. and so forth. But going back to our early conversation, I think the linchpin in all of that is going to be access to the internet because an employee who does have the ability to work from home, if they do not have access to internet and broadband from home, there is no such thing as tapping in to make certain that the bottom line for the, co for the company changes. She is now serving her second term as the political CEO of the Carolina's largest uh, region, city-state almost, uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg and Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles. Your Honor, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Chris. Um, a major announcement, I would say, last uh, near the end of last year, Mayor, with the idea of what's called the Mayor's Racial Equity Initiative. And I have to say you were very emotional during the news conference for, for good reason. But the idea that Charlotte City and corporate had come together to raise $250 million for some sweeping changes. Let me, let me start with the big picture. In five years, Mayor, how do you know that that will be a success? Well, thanks for that question, because it is all about change that we're trying to make. And my idea of the definition of success is that we see a change in the disparities of healthcare because we produce more people of color providing services to all of our community. My idea would be that we create a workforce in Charlotte where as we grow, we have people that live here ready to take the new jobs and the new opportunities that are going to occur in the future. So I want to see the lessening of disparities in healthcare and employment. I also want to see our young people succeed. In this job, you have to think not just about today, but you have to think 10 years out and 20 years out for the generations Charlotte's been fortunate to have the leadership to build strong foundations. I think this is our time for my generation to build this foundation for those in the future. And that's what success will be. Mm -hmm. Anna Yeah, early on the show, we talked a little bit about um, the shuffling of, or the great resignation when people are leaving work or they're working from home. Um, how have you seen that impacted um, specifically in Uptown where it's a lot of people? Well, one of the things that we are very fortunate in Charlotte is to have great business relationships that work very closely um, with the people that live here. So we, are, we have headquarters in our center city, Honeywell, Truist, Bank of America, and all of these folks have major employment um, in the center city, Wells Fargo, and particularly in the university area. We're building a campus for Centene in the university area. So our employment hubs, Ballantyne University, Center City, um, Arrowwood, Westinghouse, all require people to get to work. And when I think about what's going to be happening, we've had the conversation about, do we do, um, see people coming back in waves? How does it impact mm -hmm. transit? How does it impact small businesses? I don't think that we have a firm answer yet. Mm -hmm. Every business and corporation in our city, center city is creating a workforce plan. 
and they're doing it based upon their culture and their needs. And I think the thing that I admire most about their planning is the flexibility to keep people coming in to determine who's going to be available, who can come in. And if there's some obstacle or challenge to people getting there, how do we help with transportation, bus transportation? How do we ensure that government is doing our part to make it easy for people to come back? A lot of this is just about vaccination. And, you know, the CDC guidelines say get vaccinated and then let's get back to what the new normal is going to be. Mm -hmm. Antoine. Madam Mayor and Yoga, we're taught three things. We're taught to make adjustments, be flexible, uh, and to be intentional with every breath. And your role as the political CEO of Charlotte, as Chris laid out, what does the future of Charlotte look like knowing that gentrification, affordable housing, access to the internet, education, human infrastructure investments are not going to be not only critical, but consequential. What does the future of the Queen City look like ran by a queen that I know? Well, you were being very kind, Antoine. You know, Antoine and I grew up in the same city, Columbia, South Carolina. And I'm, I was fortunate enough to get to Charlotte, but he's fortunate enough to stay in Columbia and DC and all other places. So what does Charlotte's future look like? Um, I think we all are using the best data that we have, the best thinking that we have, but we know that Charlotte, at over 800,000 people, we're expecting to grow an additional 200,000 people in the next decade. So that's the size of the city of Greensboro or Asheville. Just think about putting it right down in the middle of our city. Mm -hmm. um, with that growth. So what we have to do is focus on what kind of quality of life is necessary for an additional 200,000 people. So we've adopted a comprehensive plant land use plan, what we call our 2040 plan that allows for more density. And we're trying to figure out affordability for housing, gentrification, displacement, all of that. The second thing that we're working on is a transformational mobility plan. We all know climate change is real. Um, and I want to say that because we've seen the impact of um, weather incidents in North Carolina, over 40 plus incidents this past year. And just look at what's happening across the country. So we believe that we can impact climate change most by changing government's role in transportation, creating real access to a reliable and consistent public transportation system, which means a trail, a rail trail line being constructed, um, getting more um, vehicles off the road, dealing with congestion in a way to make it easier using technology to get people through and through the city. But our whole focus is making sure that we have affordable housing, we have an adequate transportation system, because we believe that that's how we can contribute to quality of life. Mary, you've We've talked around it, but you've also mentioned the idea of not just the transit plan in Charlotte, the $13.5 billion, but the plan 2040, the plan 2030. How do you, you know, Charlotte has been typically, uh, for, for decades, Charlotte was, you went to a handful of folks and you got stuff done. Charlotte is much more decentralized now, much more mm -hmm. expansive. How do you include everyone around the table on all of these issues that any single one is going to be, could be incendiary, but I mean, how do you bring to bear your best talents to make sure everyone is heard, but also, but the best ideas bubble up to the top? You know, I mentioned the idea of leadership and its foundation. Um, Charlotte has had the fortune to think about this as our 
our role in the region to be a two-state solution to many things. And so that didn't start with me. I mean, you know, when we talk about the Metropolitan Transit Commission, that was formed by Pat McCrory. It includes all of the mayors inside of our county. But even beyond that, we've done planning across the state line in South Carolina, as well as in our surrounding counties. Today, when I go to a transit commission meeting, all of the mayors in the communities of the counties surrounding us, Gastonia, Concord, Kannapolis, they participate in those meetings because we realize that Charlotte is only as successful as the places surrounding us. Not mm -hmm. everyone can live in Charlotte. We've made 200,000 people, but think about Lincolnton, think about um, Gastonia, think about Cabarrus. All of these places yeah. are growing. So we are working really hard to build opportunities to have unified discussions around very difficult topics and to create options for people and the way that they want to live and the opportunity to get jobs everywhere. So we have the regional alliance. We have, um, we've used our COG. They have worked on our transit plan being Connect um, Charlotte. It's all about building out something that works regionally. I always tell people Charlotte is only as successful as the places that surround us. And that's really important to understand as a guiding principle. Mm -hmm. Anna Bevan? So going back to Chris's question and sort of expanding a little bit, um, how have you seen collaboration change, whether it's positive or negative, um, pre-COVID to, to post-COVID? You're in a unique position to be able to experience being mayor um, in, in both seasons. Um, so how have you seen that change? Well, I think pre-COVID, we were on a really good place to continue to have both um, regional engagement and local engagement and building relationships in Washington and Raleigh. And we were able to go and drive someplace and just walk the halls and do things like that. With COVID, that completely changed. Um, and it took, I think, a while for us to get our footing on virtual meetings and how to conduct virtual meetings and how to trust that dialogue that so much of it is dependent upon building a good relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think the challenge has been the relationship building in a virtual environment is tougher. You have to be much more deliberate. And again, I think that we will have to continue to figure out how to bring people together and how to communicate um, in a way that everybody understands but feels like they own the decision making. Mm -hmm. I think that is our biggest challenge um, post-COVID. I know that many of us recognize in this country, we've seen the, the, a strategic effort on divisiveness. But as I tell people in our community, it doesn't matter your political affiliation. If you're a resident of this region, what really matters, are we helping people be successful at, in all walks of life and in every opportunity that we can? And I truly believe that we can make that happen if we focus on a new method of collaboration post-COVID, working with our business community, working with our regional governments and organizations and nonprofits that support us. It's, it's really a belief that you have to have when you're the mayor of Charlotte, and I think a mayor of any community. Mm -hmm. Antoine, we have about two minutes. Mayor Lyles, uh, mayors are the nerve center. They are the, the main artery in any community. So how do you, as a mayor, deal with trying to convince your colleagues and your region 
that some of the things you need to do are an investment, not an expense. In particular, as we see funds come down for infrastructure, we see jobs and economic development become even more competitive and we're now competing in an ever-changing global society. It's no longer competing with our neighbors and our friends to the left or to the right. Well, it's an interesting question. Um, we were fortunate enough to have um, the Secretary of Transporta Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, as well as Vice President um, Harris um, come to our city. I, I, I want you to know that I think that the administration is sending a message across the country that they have approved the infrastructure plan and that they're very serious about it and setting goals for electric vehicles and mass transit and bridges and roads. So I think that we have to continue to focus on if we are sending money into Washington and they are going to have money come into communities, um, cities and states, that we have to take full advantage of that. We don't want to look at 20 years out and say, why didn't we do more? What I want to say is 20 years out to say we did as much as possible. And that's mm -hmm. what I believe working with the administration is important because we need to have that money come back where local decisions can be made about how what the best utilization is for the people that live in our communities. So it's not, Mayor, it's not literally 30 seconds less. It's not, it's not if we get those funds, it's rather when we get those funds. That's exactly right. When we get them and how we have the decision-making authority to use them. Okay. Uh, Mayor, thank you. We were out of time and of course didn't unpack anything about the arts. Would love to have gone into <laughs> racial equity initiative a little bit deeper. Maybe uh, maybe you're gl glad to maybe not have to talk about arts right now, but thank you for joining us. Thanks for your leadership. Best of luck going forward. And of course, all eyes uh, in the region will be watching which way Charlotte goes. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Antoine, always nice to see you. Happy New Year. Change thank the world you. there, brother, because you're doing it. We're so proud of you. Um, and, thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Anna Bevan, as well to you, thank you and best of luck going forward. Thank you for watching our Thanks. program. If you have any questions or comments or you'd like to watch past episodes, it's pretty easy. CarolinaBusinessReview.org. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Happy weekend. Stay healthy. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, the Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.